Well, if you have your Bibles and uh, you want to turn them to the passages that Matthew read to us, and if you have a pew Bible, as he said, it's on page 357. Now, this is a great uh, passage, this book of Esther. And the title I've put over this morning's is What a Difference a Day Makes. What a Difference a Day Makes. I know there's probably a pop song going through your head there somewhere. Well, we've chosen it for this morning. Now, the morning, this morning, what I want us to do is to think about two things, two things that are prominent in the lives of Esther and Mordecai, two things that are prominent in the lives of every believer, especially a believer who might be going through hard times, times of trouble, problems. Well, firstly, I want to think about this first one, which is God's provision. That's our first thought this morning, God's provision. Esther and Mordecai, they're caught up in what seems to be a hopeless situation. They turn to the Lord. They put their trust in him. They don't know how things are going to work out. But they know that God will provide. They know that whatever happens, it's going to be part of something bigger. It's going to be part of a higher calling. You know, part of that higher calling was that we, you and I, would be here this morning looking at this passage in God's Word. I often wonder about people like Esther and Mordecai, you know, when they went through all that troubled time, what are they thinking of now when they know how these things worked out and that we are here this morning talking about them? They are part of God's greater plan. Remember Esther's words to Mordecai when she had to do that really brave act to go before the king? She said to Mordecai, I'm going to do it. But listen, Mordecai, I'm going with this in mind. If I perish, then I will perish. In other words, whatever happens, it's God's will. And I know that, and I'm going to face it. And I know it's not going to be easy. So she said, well, if I perish, I will perish. And for those who heard from Paul the Apostle, you know, that great... Uh, preacher, that great speaker, that great man of God. We read all about him in the letters that he wrote to the churches. And when he wrote to the church in Corinth, he was asking them to remove, uh, he, he was telling them how he'd asked God to remove something from his life. We don't know exactly what it was, but to put it in our language today, he had what he called a thorn in the flesh, a problem. He didn't know how to deal with it. He had problems trying to deal with it and he just wanted it to go away. It could have been anything. It could have been a physical problem, a medical problem. It could have been a mental problem. It could have been pressures from outside. It could have been a certain person who was giving him troubles. It could have been anything. He could have had a, he could have had a, he could have had a bad hair, <laughs> something like that. You know, we don't know what it was, but we know that he had this problem and he didn't want to have it. He wanted God to take it away. And when he wrote the letter to Corinthians, he tells them about this. And this is what he said. He said, three times I pleaded with the Lord, take it away from me. But he said to me, 
This is what God said to Paul. My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul reacted to that, because he goes on, he says, Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power might rest in me. That's the context of what he was saying to the church at Corinth about himself. And that's great encouragement for us, and it's relative to what's happening here to Esther and Mordecai. The second thing I want to think about is we've thought about God's providence, and now we're going to look at Esther and Mordecai, and we're going to look at ourselves, because like us, they find themselves in what is a helpless situation. They can't really do anything about it. They can't deal with it themselves. Matthew, in his Gospel, chapter 6, 27, says, Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? That's a thought, isn't it? I think we all need to take note of that. And Matthew goes on because a few verses later he qualifies it. And he says, therefore. Great that word therefore, isn't it? Because what he's just said has a reason. Therefore, this is what he said. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow. For tomorrow will worry about itself. Each day has enough trouble of its own. We read that verse a lot. And we very often take comfort from it. But I want you to think about it just a little bit deeper this morning. You see, it's not a promise from God to remove the problems from our lives. Get hold of that. This verse is not a problem. It's not a, 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 a promise that God will remove the problems that we have. But it is a confirmation that there will be problems. How do we know that? Because it says each day has enough trouble of its own. Get that? You know, you can't have one without the other. And we've got to take that on board. Every day has a problem of its own. And, and we know that, don't we? I don't know what your week's been like. But I'm sure there's been some times in your week when you thought, oh, more trouble, more problems, more aches, more pains. You see, they need help. Mordecai and Esther need help in order to face the problem of their day. And as a Christian, our help is from the Lord. The help that he will give will not always be that he will remove the problem. But he promises to go with you as you go through the problem. Like the psalmist David. You know, when David said, the Lord is my shepherd, he was, he knew all about shepherding. 
And what he was doing when he said, the Lord is my shepherd, he was saying, look, there are a lot of things in my life that I can't handle. There's a lot of things that I just can't cope with. There's a lot of things that keep coming at me and I can't really deal with them. So I need help. And he calls the Lord his shepherd. David was a shepherd. What David did to his sheep is that he provided for them. He was with them. He went with them through all the troubled times. He, he, he helped them when they needed trouble. And the sheep followed David. And David is saying to God, look, you're my shepherd. I'm going to trust in you. I'm going to follow you. And whatever is ahead, I know that you're going to go and lead me through it. You know, there's a great psalm, Psalm 121, and it says this, I lift up my eyes to the mountains. Where does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven and earth. That's one of the psalms of the sense when the people were going up to Jerusalem to worship. They were on a long journey. There were problems on that journey. They were in a position where they could have been robbed by bandits. And they had all those problems of, of, of traveling. But they looked up from their troubles and they looked to God and they trusted in him to get them through it. Like Paul, I wonder if we can say that God's grace is sufficient for us today. God provides we might be helpless. We're helpless, but not alone. We are weak, but we have God's strength. And I wanted us just to think about these things this morning as we come to this part of the book of Esther. So I want you to come with me now into that chapter that we read, chapter 6. And we're going to look at it. We're going to see how God not only provided for them, but he resided with them. You get that? God provided for them and he resided with them. They knew his presence. So verses 1 to 3. That night the king couldn't sleep, so he ordered the book of the chronicles, the records of his reign, and he wanted it to be brought to him and read to him. And it was found in these records something that he hadn't done. And if you read through those verses, it will tell you that he was listening to the person who was reading it. And he was telling them about something that he'd missed. It was a great sort of dishonor to the king and not doing something that he should have done. Now, I'm sure that you've had one of those nights. You know, when you can't sleep, you might have things on your mind, you might, might be running away with you, it might just be that you can't sleep. What do you do? Do you get up and make a cup of tea? Yeah? Uh, I'm sure maybe you will do that. You know, I just can't sleep, I'm tossing and turning. I'll go downstairs, I'll put the kettle on, and I'll have a cup of tea, or maybe, Maybe you'll read a book. Yeah. Well, this King Xerxes is no exception. He couldn't sleep. He sent for his official records. 
Records of past events of his reign. Being the king, he had someone to bring them to him. He had someone to read them to him. You know, a bedtime story for his book of uh, things that had happened during his reign. I wonder if his thought was, you know, this will be better than counting sheep. <laughs> this, this, it's not going to be long before I'm, I've nodded off. And I probably can see him there, you know, I just can't sleep right. Uh, come on, bring me the books, you read them to me, and I'll listen. And I can see him there, lying in bed, and I can see him going, yeah, yeah, and then going like this, you know. You know, like when you're in church, <laughs> and you reach that point, you can't control your eyes. They, 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 they close on their own, and, and you wake up at the start. And if you're fortunate enough to be sitting next to somebody who will be brave enough to give you a nudge, yeah? And I can see the king like this, and then all of a sudden, it, his eyes flash open. And it's like his old, you know, he's read, had this passage read to him. And he thinks, oh yeah, yeah, I remember this bit, that's when I nearly got assassinated. Now he's listening now. And we go, oh great, man. yeah, I remember that. Mordecai. And he turns to the guy he's reading, what did it do for him? So the guy looks back in the records and he goes, uh, don't know how to say this, King, but you didn't do anything. Well, I didn't do anything. Now look, these Persian kings, and you can read in the history books, they were, they were noted for the way they honoured people and their generosity. And for this, this is an affront to him. This is a really bad thing. You, you mean, I didn't do anything. And the guy will go back and, you know, put his head into the book and the king said, read it again. They go, no, 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 you didn't do anything. And suddenly he's wide awake. The dawn is beginning to break in more ways than one. No time to sleep. No, he's wide awake. Today is the day. He's got to do this now. No hesitation. There's another question. Who do you think is really at work here in the lives of Esther, Mordecai, Haman, King Xerxes, the Jewish people? It's God who is at work here. Do you remember the verse that we finished with at the end of chapter 5? You probably don't. But I'm going to read it to you. It was a promise from God. Again, it was in Paul's letter to the church of Corinth. It was in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2. For he says, in the time of my favour, this is God speaking, I heard you, and in the day of salvation, I helped you. I tell you, now is the time of God's favour. Now is the day of salvation. Do you remember that? Now is the day for you and I. And for us, it is the day of salvation. And you know, it's urgent. It's easy to put it off. And many people do. But we like the king. 
something needed to be done and it needed to be done today today is the day of salvation you know king Xerxes he's not made provision it's that word we started with isn't it he's not made provision for Mordecai unlike the king of kings who has made every provision for you and me get that Xerxes hadn't made provision for Mordecai but God has made provision for us there's a verse from Ephesians in fact it's two versions uh, well it's two verses from Ephesians chapter 1 in him this is in God we were also chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we who were the first to be put our hope in Christ might for the praise might be for the praise of his glory as followers of Jesus the plans that we have for our lives might not be working out in the way that we expected but God has plans of his own and we like Esther and Mordecai are part of those greater plans Proverbs 16 verse 9 in their hearts humans plan their course but the Lord establishes their steps great words there humans plan their course but it's God who establishes their steps the shepherd leads the way let's go to verse 4 and 5 of this chapter of Esther the king said he's in the court now Haman had just entered the court in the outer court of the palace and he'd come to speak to the king about impaling Mordecai on the pole that he had set up or the gallows that he had set up remember last week what we talked about his attendant answered Haman standing in the court bring him in the king ordered now there's a couple of parallels here what a difference the day makes you know while the king had been unable to sleep, Haman had also more than likely been up all night. He didn't want to sleep. Why didn't he want to sleep? Because he was supervising the building of this great 75-foot-high pole, which is more than the height of the semi-detached house. Probably twice the height. And he's going to hang Mordecai on it. Haman can't wait to make his request to the king, a request that he sees as being nothing more than a formality. It's just a matter of procedure. You see, the king has already given him permission to go and annihilate a whole nation, to annihilate the Jewish people. So surely the king's going to give him permission to go and kill one man so he can't wait to get to the king's palace he's got his gallows ready 
The 75-foot pole is erected so that everybody around will be able to see what's going to happen. And all he needs is to get the paperwork signed. And he's going to do it today because he's got an important day ahead of him. You see, there's a great banquet being arranged for him and the king. And that's going to take part that night. Now he had a banquet the previous day. And what happened is he came away upset because he just hated Mordecai. And now if he can get rid of Mordecai, if he can hand him on this pole today, then he can go and enjoy the banquet that he's going to go to in the evening. Ah, oh, great stuff. So I'm going to go to the palace. I'm going to be there. And I'm going to be the first one in. And I'm going to get my request in. And when the king said, who's in the court? Somebody said, Mordecai, oh, um, Haman, Haman, I missed the names up there, I probably did. Haman is in the court. He says, send him in. So Haman probably thinks, this is great. I'm here early, the king wants to see me, no problem. He's going to give me what I want. He's given me everything else that I've asked for. So this is just going to be a quick one-off. I'm in here, I'll get the papers signed, and I'm out. So he goes in. Just pause for a moment. This is another big problem. And this is something that Esther knows nothing about. See, this has only happened overnight. And Esther hasn't heard about this. There hasn't been time. And she probably won't hear about the full story. But when we come to verse 6 of this passage, when Haman entered the king, asked him, what should be done for the man the king delights to honour? Now Haman thought to himself, Who is there that the king would rather honour than me? You see, Naaman not only thinks of himself as being the most important person in the eyes of others, he sees himself as being the most important person in his life. He is self-centred to a fault, in a word, He's egotistical. Egotistical. He's the only person in the world. Everything evolves around him. And he's the greatest person there is. So he answered the king. Ah. For the man the king delights to honour. <laughs> Let them bring a royal robe. That the king has worn. And a horse that the king has ridden. And, and with a royal crest placed on its head and let the robe and the horse be entrusted to one of the king's most noble princes <laughs> that's me let them robe the man the king delights to honour and lead him on a horse through the city streets proclaiming before him this is what is done for the man the king delights to honour he's picturing himself can't be anybody else. In the manner which Haman answers the king, and this is another little important thing that we want to bring out of this passage. I want you to think about the manner that Haman answers the king because it shows us his self-esteem. And this self-esteem removes from him all dignity, all 
stripped all humility and it replaces it with arrogance. See that? All this humility is gone. There's no humility. There's no dignity. There's no, oh, this is great. Yes, please. Thank you. No, this, this is, come on. Just give it to me. Give it to me. Give it to me. In his arrogance, he lifts himself above all other men, including the king. He's thinking about what he wants, and more than that, he's convinced himself that what he wants is what he deserves. This is for me. This is what I should have. He wants the king's possessions. He wants the king's position. And he wants the praise that is due to the king. And this is nothing short of a list of demands for things that he feels he's earned. Ephesians 2, verse 8 and 9. For it's by grace that you have been saved through faith. And this is not from yourself. It is the gift of God, not by works so that no one can boast. You know, many people today, and many of them will be sitting in churches and maybe singing hymns and gathering round God's word. And they will come into the presence of God with the feeling that I deserve this. I deserve God to bless me because of who I am and because of what I've done. But no, no, no. It's by grace you are saved and not of ourselves. You see that? God provides and we are helpless. Yeah. God provides and we are helpless. It is by God's grace that we are saved. There's a proverb that you probably know about. You probably think, well, it goes with this passage, and it does. It's Proverbs 16, verse 18 and 19. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before a fall. Better to be lowly in spirit along with the oppressed other than plunder with the proud. So we're coming towards the end of this passage now. And in these next verses, 10 to 13, we see humility. We also see something that is very ironical. This is the king speaking. Go at once, the king commanded Haman. Get the robe and the horses and do just as you have suggested. And this is the punchline. Do it for Mordecai, the Jew. Yeah. Yeah, they... <laughs> What, what do you think Haman thought there? That's the worst thing he could have ever heard. So Haman got the robe and the horse and he rode Mordecai and led him on horseback through the city streets proclaiming before him, this is what is done for the man that the king delights to honour. 
And afterwards Mordecai returned to the king's gate, but Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief. This was great humiliation for Naaman. But listen, listen, we've got to stop for a moment. Rather than rejoice as we see Naaman get what we would call his comeuppance. We love to see that, don't we? When we watch television programs, we always love it when the baddie gets his comeuppance. We go, yes. Wow, that's great. But that's not what this is about. See? What we've got here is that both Naaman, Haman and Mordecai know that Mordecai will still be killed. Even if a request from Mordecai to the king on this occasion to repeal the law that has been passed, it can't be changed because the king doesn't have the power. Once Persian law is written, it can't be changed. And in a year's time, the Jews are going to be annihilated anyway. But notice the reaction from the two men. Haman, who will still see Mordecai killed, albeit in a year's time, he is still the top man with the king. That evening, he was going to be a special guest at this banquet. And the banquet has been prepared by the queen for him and the king. Haman rushed home with his head covered in grief. Humanly speaking, he had a bright future ahead of him. He had everything a man could want, but it still brought no satisfaction. And we looked at that last week. This man, with everything the world can offer, cannot find satisfaction. He's still got the top job in the nation. He's still the king's right-hand man. He's got this great banquet to go to, and in a year's time, he's going to go out and destroy and annihilate the Jewish people, along with Mordecai. What about Mordecai? Very simple. Mordecai returned to the king's gate. What does that mean? That shows humility. That shows a degree of peace in his heart. He's had this great thing happen to him. He's been hailed as a really great person. And what did it mean to him? It means that at the end of it, he went back to work. That's what he did. He went back to work with all his problems still there. He went back to work trusting, not in what he could do or who he was but trusting in what God would do. I want to come to the end of this passage and I want us to and think of this. There's a question. Could it be that Haman's wife 
Emma, who last week was the one who said, why don't you just go and build a gallows and hang Mordecai? Then your problems are gone. That was her solution then. Listen to the change here. The change in her opinions, her thinking, her attitude. Could it be that she can see that what's happening here is more than what meets the eye? Is it that she can see something greater is happening here? Is it that she can see something of God at work in the lives of his people? Verse 13. Haman told Zeresha, his wife, and all his friends, everything that had happened to him, his advisors, and his wife, Zereth, said to him, Since Mordecai, before whom your downfall has started, is of Jewish origin, you cannot stand against him. You will surely come to ruin. You know what's happening here? throughout all these events. This woman, the wife of Haman, named Haman, his friends, his family, they're watching. They're watching what's happening. She didn't know it, she didn't realize it, but she actually was seeing God at work. God at work in a hopeless situation. God at work on behalf of Esther and Mordecai who had prayed, who had brought this before God, who had fasted, who had trusted in God and then have been led by God as God also was leading King Xerxes and other people. And it was his will that will be done. I know I've mentioned this in before and I'm going to finish with it. And you probably know it. I'm just going to read the words of this hymn. And I want you to think about what we've looked at this morning. we looked at the fact that God provides. He doesn't always remove the problem. Well, God provides and it's in his will. And that in those situations, we ourselves are helpless. But we have someone who will lead us as a shepherd. And God is leading Esther. And he's leading Mordecai in the same way that he can lead you and I through our lives. And when that happens... Other people notice. And so the gospel is being lived out. Here's the hymn. Though the world has forsaken God, treads a different path, lives a different way. I walk the road that the Saviour trod, that all may know I live under Jesus' way. The chorus. We're watching you. Marking all you do, hearing the things you say. Let them see the Saviour as he shines in you. Let his power control you every day. Men will look at the life I lead, see the things I take and the things I love. They judge my Lord by my every deed. Lord, let my affection beyond things of all. Here on earth, people walk 
in the night with no light to guide. They're dead in sin. I know the Lord who can give them light. Live yet not I, but Christ within. And the chorus, they're watching you, marking all you do, hearing the things you say. Let them see the Saviour as he shines in you. Let his power control you every day. Simple words. Words that I think are very applicable to what's happening in the life of Esther and Mordecai. And things that also happen in your life and my life. As people watch and mark the things we do. And our prayer is that they see Christ, not us.